1994年11月20日女子プロレスの一番熱く長い一日史上最大の決戦ビッグエッグレスリングユニバースドーム頂上対戦ただいまより開催いたします Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. I'm your host, George Thompson. With me, as always, we have Sarah Parkin and David Forrest. How's everyone doing? Hello. Hi there. I'm all right. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. Hi, folks. I'm all right as well. I have little of interest to report, but I've been watching a lot of Chickas and Agaia matches, so that's exciting. Yeah, spoiler for what we're going to be covering in this episode. So, um, if this is your first time with the podcast, uh, welcome. And uh, we do recommend that you go back and check out episodes one and two, where we sort of give a potted history of Joshi up until uh, the up until the time of the show that we are covering in this podcast, Big Egg Wrestling Universe. And in episode two, we cover the incredibly spectacular opening ceremony, as well as a few other things. Um, so do feel free to go back and listen to those. If you already have, then thank you for sticking with us. And uh, you'll be pleased to know that this is the episode where we finally start talking about the wrestling. Um, so what we really want to do with this podcast is, the thing is, if we go through the show match by match there's just going to we're not going to be able to identify anything coherent in terms of what this show actually means we'll be jumping backwards and forwards between different types of matches and performers and uh, so what we've done is split it into themes and the chosen theme for this episode is nostalgia for the 1980s um so uh, nostalgia in wrestling is a it's often a very thorny subject. If you if you just think of how the WWE deploys nostalgia, uh, we have things... I mean, I don't particularly find the concept of, say, Triple H versus Batista on a WrestleMania offensive in and of itself. But when you're trying to do a 25-minute epic that Triple H just can't do anymore and Batista <laughs> arguably never could, then uh, you're really on a hiding to nothing. Whereas there are promotions who uh, make much more tasteful use of uh, nostalgia draws, as we will see on this show. So, um, I don't know, so you've got, you've been sort of looking into, um, I mean, we, we touched on the 80s in the, in episode one, but just been looking into a bit of what, what these two matches we're going to cover in this episode mean in the context of the episode. So if you could just, uh, shed a little bit of light on that. Sure. So when, 
when we left uh, when we left our discussion of the history of Joshi up until the point of Big Egg um, a couple of episodes ago, um, so we were talking about the fact that um, this particular show happens in November 1994, really on at the very pinnacle of where the industry is. And after this, there starts to be a little, there's a bit of a downturn in business. Um, we're already at a point where a lot of the fans who had really kind of fallen in love with the business during the 1980s had potentially drifted away a little bit. Now, there's quite a lot of reasons for that. I think in some cases, it's just that because it was overwhelmingly young women in the 1980s, some of those people just sort of, got a bit older, you know, got busy with kids and families and things like that and just kind of moved on with their with their lives, really. Um, but I think there's also an element of you start to see the demographic changing. So by the time we get into sort of the early, mid-1990s where we are now, you're starting to hear, for example, once upon a time it was feral screams of 15-year-old girls, basically. That's what you get at the AJW show at Budokan Hall in 1985. Mm -hmm. um, at this point, actually, you can hear there's a lot more different sort of timbres of voice in the in the arenas. Um, it's absolutely a demographic shift, and ultimately, this is a big room that they have to fill. There are, there are I mean, how big is the Tokyo Dome, actually? Um, the I think the highest... I mean, it, it depends on the. I think the capacity has been reduced since it opened, but the I think the highest announced attendance for a wrestling show is sixty five thousand, which I assume was heavily exaggerated. Oh, capacity, that's a work. Yeah, capacity nowadays is I think around about fifty three thousand, something like mm. that. So I believe it's uh, fifty five thousand seats, but its actual capacity is forty two thousand. Now I think that's for wrestling. So I think for wrestling, it's about forty two thousand. But it's a 55,000-seat stadium. Yeah, so I do know that at the time, um, so we know that there were about 32,500 sort of paying customers, yeah. but I think at the time it was it was announced as being about 42,500, so that makes sense. That means that they probably sold it out, but some of that was was comp tickets and, and things like that as well. So Yeah, it'll, it'll be people who have like bought tickets in the day when like, they've, the production like seats have been opened and stuff like that, yeah, I imagine. Exactly. That and, and let's face it, this is this is wrestling. When has the a number of people in seats that was announced ever reflected? the number of people who turned up so you know it's a the, the point is that this is the biggest show that um women's wrestling in japan has ever even attempted it's beyond huge and there's potentially a well of untapped um support there from a different demographic who've basically kind of fallen away from wrestling or maybe aren't as interested in it as as they would have been when you mentioned about the demographic change about how it was all like 14 15 year old previously in the 80s and then they kind of went away and you're kind of finding that demographic people falling away one thing that certainly unites all of us in the podcast as well as daniel from the pure pre podcast is that we were all into it when we were younger and then as we got into being a teenager did other things with our lives and fell out of it and yeah, then got back to it in a later life so it's entirely possible in the same way that you get joshi wrestlers you know who just you know that are sort of underage and stuff like that and then they get to a point where they need to concentrate on their exams or whatever or they just find other interests yeah and sometimes they just retire to go to uni don't they yeah, yeah. And, and very often they come back to it you've seen like orisa hoshiki saki kashimo in uh, in uh, stardom recently hazuki who retired and then came back and then retired again so like it, it, it does happen for sure yeah I think that's a, a common thing with wrestling fans is that they're at, you do generally go for a few years of your life where it's not really, it's still in the blood, but it's not, you know, it's not your main concern. And there's usually some sort of catalyst. 
Yeah. I know for most people it was like CM Punk mm. or The Shield. For me, it was moving out of my house and being able to buy the pay-per-view. <laughs> my gran raising hell over why the phone bill was so high. But <laughs> it, that was genuinely why I watched WrestleMania the first time is because I was in my own house and I could pay for it myself. But um, yeah, so it's just kind of like, this seems like that sort of CM Punk or Shield moment where yeah. Yeah. a lot of those people who <clears> were into it and then kind of fell away if they hear about this, and they probably would, it would have been a big thing. You mentioned off air about like people you know who like you know they follow wrestling through various different mediums. You know, actually watch it. Yeah. They kind of follow it for YouTube or uh, you know like for podcasts or something like. That. For example, I have a friend whose entire basis in wrestling is, it's sad to say, it's what culture. Oh no. No one's perfect. Come on, guys. But he 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 has a basic grasp of the sort of knowledge and he he watches a lot of what culture and stuff like don't worry he's not an absolute wronging right <laughs> i am glad you clarified yeah for the, which is rare for the what culture audience but it's literally that and it's literally when i go and show him shame at man matches and goldberg matches that's literally all he watches the wrestling but wow. he, he still he still has an interest and you know he'll still ask and you know stuff like that so mm. there, there will be people like that in this audience who heard about this big event on the grapevine and were like yeah you know what Oh look, Chigus and Nagayo is on this, and like you know, all all, all their favourites, and they're just like fuck it, we'll buy a ticket. Yeah, well, yeah. well, Chigus and Chigus and Nagayo is kind of. I mean, we're going to cover her in one of the matches. If you want to know a little bit more about Chigus and Nagayo, uh, do feel free to listen to episode twelve of the Puro Puro Podcast, where we cover one of her greatest matches of all time. But um, I don't want to dwell on this too uh, much because we're going to talk about interpromotional matches in a later episode. But uh, Chig is basically using this as a little bit of a soft launch for a promotion called Gaia, which went on to become uh, pretty big in its own right. Uh, that launched in 1995. So this is kind of um, good for her to get some exposure, not just as a nostalgia pop, uh, but also uh, just to kind of get her wrestlers out there. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and just going back to what you were saying, David, as well, even if I was being a little bit conservative when I was talking about sort of 14, 15 year olds screaming for for Chigasa, I mean, by this point, you're looking at maybe 10 years later, they'd be in the early 20s. You're also looking at... If I'd said maybe like 18 or 19 or something like that, you know, we were old enough or maybe they were students and, you know, finally getting, you know, a bit of pocket money to go to the re- to go to the wrestling shows yeah. or something. Those are people who by now are probably in their their late 20s. So actually they might well have, you know, married and had kids or whatever, but they might actually now also be at a point where they've got a little bit of money in the back pocket to actually yeah, pay to turn up to shows as well. So I, I and I think it's important that. We talked about this a bit in previous episodes, but it absolutely cannot be overstated how massive, especially in the 1980s, how huge as a popular culture event Joshi Wrestling was. So Chikasa and Linus Asker were on magazine covers. They had multiple hit singles. They were absolutely massive. And they brought in huge numbers of girls and young women who actually wouldn't have come across wouldn't necessarily have come across wrestling from other areas. And so that's one of the things that actually, just to be topical for a moment. So there's a conversation happening right now about, say, the Bellas going into the Hall of Fame. Mm. And you know what? Maybe it's a little bit early because they've not been that long retired. But equally, they continue a grand tradition of using mainstream entertainment as a way of getting underrepresented audiences interested in wrestling and there is nothing there is nothing new and there's nothing killing the business about what they've been doing so I don't have a lot of time for sort of rejection of that no. because ultimately 
what's changed that much compared to what you know the beauty pair were doing in the 70s and compared to what the yeah. crush girls were doing in the 80s I, I it's mean, the same principle promoting really. wrestling across different media literally goes back to the dawn of wrestling in Japan I mean people would have been reading about Rikid Ozan's exploits um, in newspapers for years before there was ever a show a JWA show that he ran in Japan he had singles he uh, uh, played himself in a film about his life you know um, it, 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 it's always been part of wrestling I think it's kind of um, I think a lot of people maybe don't want to admit it, but there's always been this um, this posting across uh, different platforms. And I think you can't just have a wrestling business that remains sort of hermetically sealed against other forms. Yeah, yeah, I, it definitely. It, it also it also outlines a bit of um, gravitas to it in the sense that this isn't an insular bubble. You know, they, there is crossovers with other things. You can kind of see interacting with other media in a mm. sense that you don't usually get. Um, and the Bellas have done really well. I would also say I, I love the Bellas going into the Hall of Fame generally because I actually really, really like the Bellas as wrestlers. There is a, like, there is a, there is a ti- there is a title match where um, Charlotte and Nikki um, face off for the, uh, I think it was the Divas Championship before the Women's Championship was introduced. Yeah. And I, you can honestly say in that match, Nikki is the better worker. Like Nikki yeah. really worked it and became a damn good professional wrestler before she retired. And I've got a lot of time yeah. for her. I mean, Nikki, Nikki won. She defended the Divas title wearing green with a roaring elbow in Sumo Hall. So, like, you know, I'm 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 never going to hate on the woman for that. <laughs> Nikki Sauer, <We're> <laughs> Nikki Sauer. But so I suppose where, where I'm going with this is that you know, in some ways, people like the beauty pair in the 70s and then Chikisa and Asuka from sort of the the mid to late. 1980s were the forerunners of something like that and when you think about how many fans that they had in their heyday versus where business had sort of gone because business did take a little bit of a dive in 1990 after both of them had had to retire at the mandatory age of 26 in 1989 like there's a there's a lost opportunity there and I'm not saying that there aren't sort of genuine philosophical reasons why you would want them to be on there because if Big Egg is a celebration of all of the sort of many and manifold wonders of Joshi wrestling, you can't do that without celebrating everything that that came before, and you absolutely have to have them there. But there's a reason why they're there, and it's basically because there's an audience who will pay to see them who would arguably not pay to see, you know, a lot of the other people who are there. Um, It's one of those old tropes. You get this in UFC all the time, where you'll have Anderson Silva versus whoever as a main event of a card. Yeah. And they'll have, like, the other main event will be, like, a good fight between two, like, people who Joe Bloggs in the office doesn't have a fucking clue who these people are, but if he's sitting watching an Anderson Silva fight, because that was, that was always the, the philosophy for Bellator. Yeah. Remember when they did all the, the freak show fights? Or D- Dada 5000 versus Kimbo Slice and the like, yeah. yes. They were always up front about the fact that the reason we do this is that what we do is we do the freak show fight and we do a big title match at the same time the people we do it before the freak show fight. So the people who come in early, you see the title match, you go, actually, you know what? That was an amazing fight. I really like that guy. And then they come back. That that was all part. And then they'd have the Kimbo size match afterwards. Like Rising put fucking Sakurabu who's really in no state to fight on their first show because he's the most famous Japanese MMA fighter of all time, and he's a draw. I mean, even look at the the, the Star Sixes I went to. I mean, there was a whole, like, you know, like 10, 15,000. The Star Sixes is a six-a-side tournament featuring all football legends. So it's all people from, like, the 90s and the 2000s who've retired playing six-a-side football. And there was a, there were, I went with a, a, bunch, a bunch of friends who don't go to games, but they turned up for the Star Sixes. 
because they were like, yeah, I want to see, you know, Marco Negri and Michael Owen and all the... I'm, I'm kind of referring to myself here because those are not my two favourite players as a kid. But there was a whole generation of people who were like, they want to see Pierre van Hoedonk play and stuff like that. And yeah, it's not going to be what it was back in the day, but you, you still get to sort of just pay tribute to these people and it, 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 it's a big draw. Well, that, that's the thing about these matches because like, and it goes back to what I was saying about what is an appropriate amount of nostalgia uh, to be on a card. Like these matches are not trying to recapture what it was in the past. And you, and you, you can tell this because they're both set for 10 minute time limits. And so these are clearly on the card, not as like they're basically okay. You you're like the, these are the legends you remember from the past. It's really nice to see them. They're not going to steal the limelight from any of the current stars, which is a, a flaw that, like I said, various WrestleManias in recent years have had. They oh, just yeah. they get on the show, have a nice little match that you can enjoy, and which isn't going to be especially demanding. You know, we've got ten hours of wrestling to get through on mm-hmm. the, on this show, but you know, it's just they're, they're playing the hits basically. It's very the Liger retirement, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's literally just the Liger retirement was them going for all the hits, not doing anything strenuous. Even in Nakanishi one, it's the exact mm. same thing. Nakanishi looked incredible in the match. Yeah, because he was just doing his old shit, yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I've got to say, I'm I'm not entirely in agreement on this point. Okay. Maybe if we're talking about one of the one of the matches, maybe we can talk about this a little bit more because I, I do think there's an element of playing the hits um, and there is an element of not being everything that they used to be, but I would not argue that they're playing it safe. Oh, okay, sure. Well, well, yeah, what I mean is playing it safe in terms of... Um... I guess maybe a lot in terms of like the match structure or something there. Like they, mm. I think they're designed to be digestible rather than ambitious in terms of scope. But yes, they're certainly not. Uh, they're certainly not dogging it. They are. They, these women are not uh, taking it easy. So I guess we could get into uh, one of the matches now. So uh, like I say, we're going out of order. So this is in fact match number nine on the card. Mm. Um, it is mm. uh, the aforementioned uh, Chickas Nagayo versus uh, Reggie Bennett. Uh, uh, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, Chig after after we talk about Reggie Bennett who's uh, someone I well as, as we said this is arguably going um, older school than even the 80s because as Sarah mentioned in episode one um, the big intimidating Gaijin heel was more of a staple of 1970s AJW than uh, the 1980s um, Reggie Bennett really was a sort of um, I guess the token like heavyweight Gaijin heel at this time um, I, remember, I remember the first time I saw one of her matches when uh, uh, I assume she'd be more sort of, I guess, intimidating in demeanour than she was, but it was, uh, I think, Destiny 1995 or something. She was wrestling mm. Kyoko in a way. That I, sounds I, exactly like David's type of match. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and uh, I expected sort of this really snarling, fearsome promo, and then she did the uh, pre-match interview. I was like, oh, she's, uh, she seems nice. Um, but, uh, Sarah, yeah, a little bit about Reggie mm. Bennett, if you uh, if you will. Well, the main thing to bear in mind with Reggie in this particular match is that AJW had only brought her in that year. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, nice. no, so 1994 was actually Reggie's first appearances for AJW. She'd actually been wrestling for quite a bit longer, although she'd never really had too many matches. Um, she actually debuted in 1986 working in the US. Um, but, I mean, debut does not necessarily mean wrestled because the first match that she ever saw was the first match that she was in. <laughs> what? Yeah. So her husband. I've got to hear about this. <laughs> yeah, so her her husband and uh, I'm I'm citing my sources here that this is from I've had this mentioned in um, Pat LePrade and Dan Murphy's book Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, um, which I have been you know reading a lot and has been incredibly useful throughout this group of podcasts. She's quoted in there as saying that um, her ex husband, um, as he as he is by now. Um, was being trained as a wrestler by Mando Guerrero, good old Guerrero family. 
And basically, he was a, a woman shot for a battle royal. Um, and she told this dirt sheet where she's quoted that um, Mando asked her if she wanted to make some money with her body and she thought he was propositioning her. <laughs> so anyway, she ends up in a battle royal. He, te- he teaches her how to go over the top rope. She does a battle royal. And next thing she knows, she's on this tour up and down the way, <laughs> up and down California. Fucking hell. I mean, if you want to get in the battle royal in the UK, you need to win a raffle at a WAW show. <laughs> <laughs> The thing is, she was already in uh, quite a good position to, to start because she was a bodybuilder. So on the one hand, we generally don't expect people to seamlessly make the transition from bodybuilder into professional wrestling. Because <laughs> How dare you slag the good name of Bill Kazmaier? <laughs> I was going to say Kim Patera, but like... Uh... Well, to be fair, but I mean, on the other end of the spectrum, Dana Brooke. Yeah, who true. has actually yeah. done a very good job of it, and she's been competing as a bodybuilder at the same time. Um, and Reggie is, you know, substantially bigger than than Dana Brooke is, is now, but she absolutely, she obviously she's still very very flexible and very strong. And she eventually signed with um, the Ladies Pro Wrestling Association. She was five foot eight, and at the time she was two hundred and forty nine pounds. So, in terms of height. When you look at someone in in Japan, she's gonna tower over people anyway, and then she, you know, she's built really broad as well. Um, but she actually ends up um, getting booked in Japan because she starts doing this vitamin commercial. Um, the vitamin commercial <laughs> plays in Japan, gets over massively. So suddenly she's now like the famous woman from the from the advert, and then they're like, oh my god, she can wrestle, bring her in. I mean, HAW bringing in um, gaijin celebrities isn't necessarily predicated on uh, whether they can wrestle or not. If you remember the uh, story about them offering two million dollars to Tonya Harding um, after True. the after the Nancy Kerrigan assault uh, to come in and work a match. So uh, yes, would the Brett Wrestler equivalent of this be Gio Campanio turning up in a battle royal? <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely. Well, I'm 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 shocked that like Riptide or someone's not. Built I was going to say, why has that not happened? If Dave Benson Phillips has appeared in a wrestling match. Why have we not had that at some point as well? <laughs> so yes, bodybuilder, professional wrestler, vitamin advertiser. Reggie Bennett comes over into AJW um, and gets over and is pretty much the first American monster heel for, you know, years and years. Um, she's the biggest sort of Western star that they have for a while. And bearing in mind that actually sort of in this period and slightly beforehand, like they had had a Londra Blaze working there as well. So, but, but... Reggie Bennett comes in and is right. Uh, is pretty much at, at the top in terms of the the, the monster heels. Um, and in case you were worried about how they see her, six months after she wrestles Chiksunagaya at Big Egg Wrestling Universe, she beats Manami Toyota to win the IWA Women's Title. So that's a. It's not the red belt, but it's a sign that she was allowed to pin Manami Toyota yeah. to pick it up. So they obviously think an awful lot of her. Like, yeah, that's the thing, like, if you bring in a, a foreigner into wrestling, they tend to be able to bypass the general, the like, the really gradual making their way up the ranks. In the same way, like, AJ Styles came in and won the IWGP Championship right off the bat yeah. in uh, New Japan, things like that. Or, like, Even G White to a degree. It, well, yes, back. don't fucking remind me about that. Yes. <laughs> Less um, said about that, the better. I, I, would, I would just like to mention Reggie Bennett's gimmick. I, I think I've nailed her aesthetic. Um, Is it that she's one of the village people? Well, I I, I went for um, sexy construction worker on her day off from um, hoarding those blocks that the council says she should put in the bin when she does uh, block changes and not sell them for scrap metal. Um, My dad definitely does not do that. I I do need to say... (laughs) 
for for fact, just to, just to clarify, my dad does not take locks home and sell them for scrap metal when the council says he should put them in the bin. Just for posterity. I. Man, she looks amazing. She looks so amazing. So she does. I I have a question about your analogy there. If it's her day off, why is she wearing a hard hat? Say health and safety, Sarah. You know, it's on her a... day off. Yeah, yeah, it's well, kind of a busman's holiday for I think what's happened, right, I think what's happened is that she was one of the... the remember we talked about the um, the construction video um, earlier? Uh, <laughs> she's done a shift on that. She's done <laughs> she a shift on that, set. but her, her luggage has been left at um, in the airport. It's still, it's still lost in Haneda Airport, so she, she's just like, right, it's fine. This wasn't and a gimmick at all. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing in and of it itself. Is, it is nice to see uh, wrestlers being health and safety compliant, though. That is it's <laughs> always good what to the see. rest of them are like in Joshi. I mean, I would, uh, I would ask the question. She should have completed the look by wearing a high vis as well, because she is wearing, <laughs> she, she's wearing this sort of the, the, this vest top, dungarees, like shorts, shorts, <laughs> denim dungarees, and yeah. then her hard hat as well. And I still, the hard hat is a good thing, but she's got a way to go before she's truly health and safety compliant. Yeah. Have, have I you, don't think she's passing a risk assessment. No. <laughs> Have you ever seen that uh, picture of um, of Prince Harry in his army fatigues but wearing a high-vis over it and someone just tweeted it with the caption, look, do you want it to be seen or not, mate? That's exactly um, that. So, I, I uh, have seen a picture of Prince Harry in army fatigues. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not that one. Not that one. Um, so uh, Richie Bennett's opponent in this match is the aforementioned Shikas Nagayo, one of the biggest stars in the history of Joshi, if not the biggest. So uh, something of a uh, sort of a, a little bit of a comeback for her, as we've mentioned, uh, Sarah. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, come back with me, dear listeners, to episode one, where we last saw Chikasa Nagaya in 1989. Um, in May, she retired because she reached the mandatory AJW retirement age of 26. I mean, it, Blake Seven, isn't it? Was it? Was it? Was it Blake Seven? Logan's, yeah, Logan's run. run. Logan's <laughs> run. Blake Seven, for fuck's <laughs> sake! That is assuredly not like that. But like, let's definitely leave that in because that was very funny. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I enjoyed that. So yeah, so um, AJW has this weird uh, Blake Seven thing going on where <laughs> once you get to twenty six, uh, you got to make room for all the the new faces. So they force people to retire, even if they are the biggest stars in the company and they are making you all of the money in all of the world, and they are still actually in perfectly good condition to continue wrestling. Um, The problem with this mandatory retirement age is that nobody liked retiring at 26, nobody wanted to retire at 26, um, and Chigasa clearly feels that very much, um, and nobody was ready for Chigasa to retire when she did. You know, the crowds were heartbroken, devastated, and, you know, she retires in, I think, May 1989. Lioness Asuka retires as champion later on in that year, and if you were a Crush Girls fan, what's the reason for you to continue watching AJW into the 90s? Because there's not really been any succession planning there. So fans miss her. Fans still love her. She doesn't really want to be retired. So she's planning her comeback, basically. Um, so in August 1994, so that's three months before this particular show here, she announces that she's going to be launching her own promotion, um, which is Gaia. So we're going to be talking about Gaia in a later episode, mm-hmm. so I won't dwell on that too much. Um, but she starts to kind of promote that, and you mentioned it being a soft launch, George. Um, Gaia-branded matches are happening all over this this show with 
let's face it, people who were known from promotions other than Gaia at this yes. point. Nobody really understands why, you know, why some of these are branded as Gaia matches, other than the fact that, let's face it, people probably thought they owed Chig something. Um, yeah. So they actually had their first matches in 1995. So I suppose bear in mind when we look at some of the other matches later on down the card as well when they're branded as gayer matches they are a taster of something to come and places yeah. where those people stars are expected to be in the ascendance sorry i just wanted to actually ask a question about this show is this the first AJW show with people over 26 on it i don't think so i think bona carno had worked some shows um, actually, was she over 26 at this, uh, this time? I'm not sure, but I do... I'm fairly certain that um, Dump Matsumoto was allowed to keep going past 26 a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I think they had had some. Yeah, it certainly wasn't usual, though. Yeah, not common by any stretch. I think Mildred Burke probably worked some when she was over 26 as well, but uh, I think maybe the... Obviously, the, I think they were bringing in some of the guys who knew were over the mm-hmm. retirement days. I think it was just for the Japanese talent. Um, that's the thing about uh, uh, Chi actually. She's she's always been very good at getting exposure for her trainees. Like she's yeah. still got promotion at the moment called Marvelous, which they don't run that many shows. But the, her rookies are like everywhere. You'll see them not just at Marvelous shows, but you'll see them um, in uh, Seedling or Sendai Girls or uh, sometimes Takemiro. Her will uh, rock up in Stardom at short notice and have an absolute banger of a match there. Um, like she she's uh, she's uh, very good at that, and uh, also like. A lot of her booking is, I get the sense she's not really one for convention. Like in Marvelous, she's booked um, well multiple trans wrestlers actually. Like she gave Nyla Rose a lot of exposure yeah. in Japan. That I think arguably helped to get hired by AEW. She's had uh, Asuka, as in not Linus Asuka or WWE Asuka, but the Asuka who works in uh, uh, Wave and DDT and all them places. The I think the only Joshi booker I can think of that has booked a match between two black wrestlers. There was one in Marvelous a couple of years ago, and also. God knows how many Arja Kong versus Amazing Kong matches in Gaia. So I think and also, um, so Arja Pereira, who's been who was training in Marvelous until uh, you know quite recently. Yeah. Um, she's just been signed as an as a referee, referee in, the Fed. in, yeah, yeah, yeah. in NXT. So uh, yeah, I mean, Chicks, I don't, I don't think. Uh, I think I think you know maybe arising from this having been pushed out before before her time certainly doesn't seem to do things by the book in terms of who she brings into her promotion. I think she brings in a lot of wrestlers that say stardom probably wouldn't look twice at, for instance. But um, so yeah, really varied body types and things like that as well. Actually, that you see there that you probably see less in some of the other promotions. But yeah. I think that I think that Chigusa, um if you're as well connected as she is because she's worked with and for everybody, you have a good contacts list to be able to set up yeah. your trainees and to make sure that you get them work. And people want to work with you because everybody loves her. She's Jason yeah. Agayo. How can you not? Exactly. I and don't know what she's like personally behind the scenes, but the fact that she works successfully with people for long periods yeah. tells me that she must be quite well, fun well, to get on I mean, with. we've never seen Gaia girls, so that might give you an impression. I, I, I no, would that's like to, true. I would like to think that everyone in a position of authority in that uh, documentary has chilled the fuck out now uh, 20 years later you kind of have to you kind of have to hope that's the case it is an intense watch i wouldn't lie yeah yeah but yeah i, I mean she's a fantastic trainer like i think in terms of the best trainers at the moment churning out rookies it's probably her emmy sakura and katsuyo shibata i would say those are the uh, the big three it's always a great um, event for me when one of nagaya's rookies ends up doing battle with one of emmy sakura's rookies like always a good time. if you've got say um mia momono versus mesa ruga just like get that in my eyes immediately so uh, on to the match i just think it's you it's worth saying that so when you see um so 
the the thing about the um the big egg footage that we have to us usually comes with pre and post match yeah, interviews yeah. as well. And um, so and you can actually see from the way that Chikisa carries herself and the way that she presents herself. Obviously, I don't speak a word of Japanese, so I can't speak for the content, but you get a lot from body language and from the way that she presents herself. And she was she's never particularly been a, a sexualized wrestler by any any stretch. She wasn't really I mean, she was predominantly you know, presented as being quite a sort of squeaky clean kind of girl next door type. But she's kind of reinvented herself in the way that she's dressed as a bit more of a fighter. So, I mean, so her hair is cropped. She'd always had short hair, but it feels quite, it feels quite straightly cropped. Um, she's got quite jazzy gear and she's got this big, it kind of feels like it's like a boxing, a boxing. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it did get a boxing vibe. She, as well as that, um, I believe it. I believe it's when she gets into the ring, she's taping up her wrists, which I think yeah. is a yeah. very combat sportsy sort of thing to do. It reminded me of Hickson uh, pulverizing Yoji Anjo. <laughs> Everything reminds you car. about Hickson uh, pulverizing Yoji Anjo if you uh, think about it often enough. Um, yeah, I think yeah, absolutely. That's the way she comes. Uh, I've got this sort of steely focus in her mm. uh, in her backstage interview. But then the match starts as well, and she com- uh, and she is she's going for a more hard hitting. You know, she she squares up. Up with uh, with this, yeah. like a boxer and starts throwing right hands and stuff. So I think she, I think that what's happening here is an attempt at becoming, you know, seen as a bit more of a legit fighter. Yeah, which isn't necessarily how Gaia became later on. But it's an interesting. Yeah, but I think it's an interesting side it, it, of it. It wasn't as shooty as say LLPW or Arshian, but um, no. I mean, yeah, she's very good at reinventing herself. Actually, I do check out her uh, heel running guy in like 1999 when she's like got bleached hair and she's just throwing fucking fireballs in people's faces and uh, stuff <laughs> like that. That is a, a hell of a watch. So like always, I think a shit fireball. <laughs> yeah always yeah it's, it's, it's just like street fighter shit but like just um mo- moving with moving with the times i think uh, reggie bennett's promo is great as well she doesn't say very much i guess knowing that most of the crowd aren't going to able be able to understand her but uh, oh, she, it's great, she does say the words i've heard she's a legend about chickas which is absolutely ice cold like you fucking know who chickas and the guy is come on now <laughs> no i'm very regal and anoki isn't it <laughs> oh yeah that promo where regal cuts on okay i've been to japan and i've asked about you and none of them have bloody heard of you <laughs> <laughs> I I think if you're setting this up as the beloved face veteran versus your sort of hot new property who's the heel, you do expect them to be a bit to be a bit irreverent. But the line that I loved, so she says, I've I've heard she's a legend, but you know this is the 1990s. She's basically saying that times moved on. The line that I loved is, she's on her way back. I'm on my way up. Yeah, like, that's really, that that's good. That's that really good. good. Like, I mean, yeah, this isn't really a pure nostalgia match in that, you know, you've got a legend versus a current top property, as Sarah says. She's very new into the promotion. So it's got a kind of different vibe from the second match we we're uh, mm. going to discuss, which is good. This show is uh, nothing if not uh, if not varied. Um, hot opening in that um, uh, Reggie cuts Chigsa uh, off on the ramp before she even makes it to the ring and uh, throws the builder's hat on her, which maybe uh, solves the mystery of why she was wearing. I do wonder what Scoop Muck and Dizzy would think of such uh, such chicanery. Um, and you then... know what? If you want to get heat, 
you wait for the returning legend who first retired like five years earlier, and, and then you 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 know you cut off her big entrance in front of all of her adoring fans. If you want people to hate you, that's how you bloody well do it. Yeah, I was gonna say first retired, she's still wrestling by the way. She um, <laughs> yeah. uh, she's worked uh, worked matches this year. She mostly does death matches now, but um, she's. <laughs> I think you see it in this match, even though she's been away from the business for uh, quite a while. She's uh, got this, uh, I guess, intangible physical charisma that you never lose. Like uh, I saw her in a uh, six person tag on a big DDT show last year and she still got it so when I heard that in December she'd wrestled her trainee Takami Oroho at a marvellous show at Corican and it had gone 21 minutes I'm just like yeah you know what that was still probably great because yeah. like I bet she, I bet she can still work a compelling twenty one minute match even in like her uh, her mid fifties. Well, she gets the psychology of the matches. Yeah, that's the thing. She she gets how to put a match together to work around what you can do. And I should uh, I should clarify as well. I don't think this is her first match match back. She has actually her retirement didn't really last all oh, that okay. long. And she has <laughs> she has made a, she has made a few sort of appearances I think between her retirement and, and this it's it's Asuka who we'll see later on who is like the first it is this is her first match back. Uh, but like she's yeah certainly not a regular in the ring um, oh no not a, not at all at this point I think you're talking sort of you can count on you can probably I think count on one hand the number of appearances she's had in between um but again a lot of that has been to do with the fact that she was she was not ready to retire and nobody yeah. else was ready for her to do so yeah um, but this is you know, this is absolutely going to be the first time that most of the people in the building have seen her since she retired in 1989. Yeah. So you cut off her big sort of hero's welcome and, you know, you're dead to everybody inside. Yeah, pretty much. It's a perfect way to start this because, I mean, as you said, it's a 10-minute time limit. It's yeah. not like they can do an Akada and piss about for 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, like, they have to go, like, for the juggler and by words, they go for the juggler. Oh, for, I mean, chick, chick blades before the match starts. Yeah, it's great. Chick uh, blades after Bennett throws her hard hat at her. It's, I don't even know if I hit her in the face, but it just threw at her. And this, just it is a hard, hard hat. This is my favourite Tokyo Dome blade job other than uh, big Japan wrestler Shoji Nakamaki who managed to blade in the 77 second match at the Dome one time. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, that, that's a, if you're thinking, oh, has big Japan always been like that? Yes, yes it has. Um, I, lo- I love the idea that like, you know how wrestlers are like, you're told you've got five minutes and they want to get their shit in. Clearly for him getting his yeah. shit in, they're literally just bleeding. What, what, what's with the ref in this match, by the way? Like, is she a, is she one of Chig's rookies? Because she looks very young. She's got the sort of like, unfashionable rookie haircut. She's wearing all red. Basically, what I'm saying is, is the fit, we'll get to the finish of this match, is it an inside job? I, I think I think words need to be added with the commission if that's the case. <laughs> this, this is very much junior football linesman from the from the stand. It really is. It's like our, our lines, our regular linesmen's pulled up. They've done their hamstring. Who's got a pair of boots with them? I will say I greatly appreciate that eventually when when Reggie has sort of left Chig alone and Chigasa has then managed to drag herself back to the ring and get herself back on her feet. They make a point of announcing them both properly. Anyway. <laughs> then we do the intro of blood just pissing down chickens in the guy's face. Yeah, but she's like she she's not missing that. And you know what brings absolute joy to my heart, even compared to all the other matches on the card. I know it's a really blunt instrument to measure sort of the the, the split, uh, the demographic split of the audience, 
but the cheers for Chigusa throughout this match are just that little bit more high pitched than most of the other matches, and that brought joy to my heart because it made me it it felt very 1985. Yeah, it's kind of a, a shame really that they're like you don't really get the full deafening volume of them like you would at say a Budokan show. And the reason for this is, I mean, David, you've been to the Dome, uh, albeit yeah, for yeah. baseball and not for uh, not for wrestling, but um, like it is notoriously an absolute vacuum in terms yeah. of the. Uh, so even like there might be people in the. I mean, I I know from. Um, uh, from a, uh, one of our friends went to uh, Wrestle Wrestle Kingdom and was just absolutely deafened in the main event by like young women sh- shouting Naito Chan very loudly. But like, um, like you wouldn't know it's actually on the video because it kind of does swallow the noise. But like, I'm sure if you were in the crowd for this, particularly um, in like certain sections of the crowd, I'm sure I'm sure you'd be suffering from a severe hearing loss uh, even by the end of this relatively uh, short match. Um, <laughs> I think the issue with like stadiums is certainly, certainly is usually a case of WrestleMania, but what happens is that the, the cheers instead they don't they don't come across on TV because they go up, they they go up yeah. like, sort of, if there's not a roof on it they just go out of the, the dome. But even then they kind of got they don't they don't get picked up by the the microphones that much because they're all kind of in the air so to speak. That's why all the noise gets lost. So if you are sort of up a bit higher on that, yeah, and you're in the crowd, you can feel it, but it never really translates well on. Yeah, like um, you and that. I like, I like, I like how this opens when when they after they've done the introdu- introductions where Reggie just slaps Chig and she just stares at her. Yeah, <laughs> like the rookie's trying to clearly trying to stop a full on Donnybrook as if she's got any uh, power <laughs> to do that. Um, one thing I do notice actually in the early going of this match, Chig is selling her ribs. Like yeah. quite a lot. It's very, it's very good selling. I don't know if that's maybe it's a shoot. Maybe that's where the hat hit her. But like, um, I think she's just decided. Okay, it's a short match. I'm gonna provide something for the crowd to really get their um, teeth into. She's certainly um, willing to uh, sell for this uh, massive American woman. I, I, I thought it was a cross body to be honest. But if you're, if yeah. you're saying it was there before it, then that would make yeah, that's sense. true. I thought she just. Just absolutely bend it in the cross body, and that's why. But yeah, yeah, she just do a cross body to, from the top rope to the outside. Uh, very early <laughs> into this badness. match, someone's I, I, not been briefed in the you know Legends Eight Man's formula of just you know, <laughs> don't don't push it, lads. No, <laughs> we'll sit down, Mark. We've already got their money. But yeah, like um, I like how uh, Reggie basically no sells the cross body and just shoves them into some railings, <laughs> which again is not going to help the rib situation very much. And then you get the doctors out. I love a doctor stoppage. I, uh, I doctor love... stoppage in an eight-minute match. Get this in my eyes. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> um, there's, it, it's such a good crutch as well for a Legends match like this. Because the thing is, is as you mentioned, the Gaios probably had, what, four or five matches at the most since then. And as you said, most of the people here won't have seen her since then. But there'll be that section who will know who Chagasin the guy is and go, God, you know, she, she, I've not seen her in years. But can she still hack it? Yeah, and exactly. It's a really, really good way of putting it across to saying, making you believe that no, she can't hack it. It's not like the not that she can't hack it, but what I'm saying is that the wrestling has moved on. Yeah. And she's trying to catch up, catch up to it. But he also the, the good thing about it is it, it it's really evident throughout the match is that she gives in she gives in the guy on me. She may be you know a bit off the pace. But because she is arguably one of what top five of all time, yeah, 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 easy. You you have that extra experience where even if physically you're not as good as you are or whatever, you still have that bit of guile and you're still able to do stuff 
um, that other people can't. It's like, I, I'm sorry, I, I keep mentioning football, but um, Matt Letizia <laughs> once turned up in a testimonial, right? And he came on he came on off the bench. Are you aware of Matt Letizia, Sarah? Sarah's yeah. aware of Matt Letizia. I'll go I've on about heard, I've heard about, quote-unquote, the test. <laughs> yes. Um, so he turned up in a testimonial and he came on as a sub, and the referee was Paul Sturrock, who used to manage Plymouth Argyle, and um, he was Dundee United and stuff like that. But he was a referee and he knew Letissi and he's like, are you going to give us a bit of the Letiss magic? And he's like, what? He says, you're just going to ping in one of your trademark goals? He's like, no, Paul, I'm, I'm 45 now. I, I don't do that. Free kick within 30 seconds, 35-yard pinger off the crossbar. It's just that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like um, when uh, my Socrates, the for- former uh, former captain of Brazil, came to play for my local team, Garforth Town, for like a one-off in 2004. He was like 50 and quite overweight and had smoked 40 a day, even when he was captaining the Brazilian national team. And he came on as a sub, and the first thing he did was like scream what against the bar from 25 yards. Class, class is permanent. That's what this match shows, I think. It's David, um, just giving you a wee shout, time travelling back in the TARDIS. Now, just to let you know, we recorded this back in March time, which was at the time of release six months ago. Yes, we do actually keep things in the can for six months and do nothing worth them, leave us alone. But far worse than that is uh, Matt Letizia, who at the time of recording was revered as one of the greatest players in the history of English football. Goal of the season winner, 94 95 Player of the month several times, all the lot, and probably the greatest player that Southampton have ever had. Um, and now, very not, much not regarded as that um, due to his horrible, irresponsible views on COVID 19, including casting scepticism on the scale of the virus, encouraging people not to wear masks, and comparing it to the Holocaust by posting pictures of Anne Frank. So, just to clarify, this was recorded six months ago. Fuck Matt Letizia, he won fuck all, and we're really here for it. Cheers. It's just that they have that little bit extra that they'll always have, they'll never lose it, and they can use that to kind of keep themselves in it, whereas a, a sort of a mere mortal probably would have been beaten, what, four or five minutes? She's got that little bit of grip to her. Yeah. Well, I think the so the, the logic of this entire match, actually, is that um, Chigusa is, she's using her sort of slightly more legit sort of shooty style fighting and she is actually she's getting her moments she's getting her she's getting her, her kicks and she's got a hell of a right hand actually towards the back end of this match you know she keeps getting these comeback spots in and then eventually she just sort of gets swatted like a fly yeah. um, and it's the it's the classic in some ways a classic sort of big woman small woman thing but to bring in your sort of your conquering returning legend and automatically make them a sympathetic baby face within lip probably from the first 30 seconds from when she came in, is an, an achievement in, in itself. But making her the underdog and making her the sympathetic babyface 
the whole point of this is, guys, remember why you loved Chigus and Agaya? Yeah. She's still got it, guys. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's a really good moment where uh, Reggie's sort of just mashing her face on the floor and then stamping on her hands on the ground and Chig just decides that she's like, oh, fuck this and has had enough and just like fires back with some big wacky punches and some headbutts. Oh, like, I think that's her kicks in this match are really good as well. Like um, the, the, yeah. the legit stuff, Fujiwara armbar at uh, one point, whereas Reggie's offence is kind of what you would expect from a woman of her size like uh, lariats uh, sleepers vader attacks in the corner like uh, big splashes uh, second rope splashes top rope splashes all the classic sort of big man slash woman slash whatever offense you know like that's that's like um that's some really good shit like in this match it's it's uh, um absolutely and the thing that the thing that i like about it is that as you said she's a sympathetic baby face in this match whereas a lot of the time there is a tendency now for legends where it's kind of a WWE 2K thing, where they are equal to the other person. It's not a case of, you know, a sympathetic babyface yeah. isn't really sympathetic because they're overcoming adversity. There's someone that's, that's greater than them, so to speak, in that in that moment, and they're having to fight from underneath, so to speak. And generally now, with Legends, it's not necessarily the case where you get them working from underneath in that way. So it's quite nice to see someone like Chagos and guy who probably... You know, obviously will have worked underneath, but was a dominant figure, so to speak. You know, you know, such an imperious figure, be turned into that sympathetic. You know, you know, it's not they're not as imperious as they were before, and you, you kind of root for them because they're, they're they're fighting from underneath, which is an interesting way to do. It. And to be honest, the correct way to do it. I yeah, think they, absolutely. They absolutely nailed it so well in this. And she works it logically. She works it in the she works it in the way that kind of any smaller competitor would be encouraged to go after a bigger one she aims for the legs like yeah, all yeah. she's doing is she is specifically trying to take out reggie's legs to so that she can get her down on on, on the floor and, and kind of have a way with her then it's it's a very it's a very logical story that they're telling and in some ways it's the it's the tale as old as time you see this kind of dynamic in matches all over the place but what makes it special is Chigusa can kind of do this better than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, I will say, I mean, from all that, from all that we've talked about her uh, fighting from underneath, she does win the match um, under. Well, well, yeah, okay. Let's yeah, let's yeah, talk because, yeah. like, we've we've kind of heaped praise on this uh, on this match. It's a, it's a good sort of big versus less big uh, match. But um, ah, that, this that finish, guys. Okay, so let's sort of go over what happened. So, like, Chig. Tries to sleep her, Reggie backs her into the corner and hits a sort of proto-Judas effect. And uh, and then it was really abrupt, first of all. So she kind of just gets a schoolboy. And you know how you can do the finish to protect someone where... I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the uh, Hogan versus Hansen match from 1990, where, yeah. like, Hogan hits the atomic leg drop and Hansen kicks out on three. So it's like, OK, Hogan's win, but you've protected the big star. I think maybe that was what they were going for. But, like, Reggie Bennett does not kick out at three in this match. She kicks out at, like, 2.2. Yes. Yeah, it was, it was very bizarre. I, I don't think the referee helped in this case because I think the referee... Because I, I, I was kind of... I was setting up all this when... All my, my laptop and stuff like that at the table when this was on. So I was kind of watching it. Um, and it's watching the guy do this amazing cell job in the sleeper blood, you know, streaming and um, just being this amazing oh, this is such a great fight and then, like, this is going to be such a great comeback if she wins and then it was like, bop, there we go and I was like, alright, and then the referee 
the referee did the cardinal sin. They hesitated afterwards. Oh, so no. If you're if you're going if you're going to fuck up, just own it. It's it's my my um my philosophy on see if you have to say something in a foreign language. My philosophy is I just, I just say how I think it's pronounced. I don't hesitate, and half the time nobody will ever know. That's, yeah, that's the key. It, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think she's a fucking referee. It's probably the um, the explanation for this. It, it, it goes to her, and I think she goes to put her hands up to go no, and then realizes, oh wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> we, we were. I, I think what's happened is that they they didn't realize there was a ten minute time limit, or they they were eight nine minutes probably, and we're like right, we need to wrap this up, and they've done it. And the referee's been a bit off, and then they've been a bit like, oh, should I restart this or whatever? And they're like, no, it's gone too far. It's gone too far. And then, like, a song from Rocky plays, um, and then Chig cuts a a promo and gets a trophy, uh, presumably by one of the... uh, I mean, as we've said before, every match has a corporate sponsor um, for this, so... Presumably they forked out. By Gazprom. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's like so you can. I mean, um, uh, coincidentally, Rossi Agal was working for AJW at this time. So this is probably like, wait a minute, trophies after big matches. Like this could be my mm. thing. I'd like to think that he took all these trophies back away from people <laughs> after the show and stored them in a trophy room until one day he could use them as the basis for all of his stardom title matches. If if, if I. <laughs> If I see the red belt, the red belt trophy uh, from Stardom at any point on in this show, I'm gonna absolutely shit myself. <laughs> Sorry, David. I was gonna say, just a hypothetical situation. If a verified, like 100% certificate of authenticity trophy from Big Egg turned up, <laughs> what is your ceiling in terms of what you would pay for that? Ooh, Sarah. Honestly, I I probably wouldn't. No, I... no. Con- so controversial. Um, I don't know. I think kind of Elgin Marbles esque. I think it should probably stay <laughs> in Japan. The the Michael Elgin Marbles. <laughs> yeah, they're they're they're, they're uh, shit maybe... and they won't fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Okay, so that's not necessarily my. You know, that that's not necessarily my my only reason. But I I don't know. Number one. I don't know where I would put such a thing, and you I do. You know where th- you would put it? You put it in your front room. That's exactly where you put it. <laughs> Honestly, I might just, office. I might just replace, replace George, and just like put it on his normal seat on the sofa. I mean, you, I mean, I, 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 I understand if you want to replace <laughs> me. Not even for for a trophy, just, just, just in general. Just really. in, but like as a rule. Uh, Imagine getting cooked by a trophy, that'd be awful. <laughs> I know. Um, um, literally a trophy husband. Um, <laughs> you saw the fucking uh, Ali versus Anoki trophy at the uh, Tony Camp when you were in um, in Japan, There's didn't you? How the fuck is that? Excuse me, can we all just backtrack to the idea that the trophy would somehow be a trophy husband? Why are we gendering the trophy as male? Yeah, also, we're not married, like... Like you bet, like I'm not being replaced as that. Would, so it would not be a bigamist in this uh, situation. I think that's what we're. Have uh... I just been cancelled? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be me and Sarah for the next eleven episodes. I'm very sorry. <laughs> sorry, Max. Um, it's, it's you, Sarah, and a trophy from Big Egg. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, but basically, like, uh, there's a couple of we get some post-match promos as well. Uh, Chicks and the guy gets very, very emotional during hers. Is he I like? Bet. I've actually been working on my Japanese and uh, I've translated a pro. Oh yes. Oh god. No, no, I, I, like, I did. A are you, are you serious, or is this a setup I, for a punchline? I, I genuinely did uh, translate this right. Right, I, go it on. Took, then. It took me a bit of time, and yeah. Um, so 
We weren't in the game first half, but second half, the lads dug down deep to get the win. The Dome is a tough place to come and pick up points. Reggie really made his work hard for it. But we'll head up the road, celebrate tonight, and get back in the training ground during uh, doing drills on Monday. <laughs> Flawless. We're, we're Sarah, perfect. Sarah's face is an absolute picture right now. She would know she's been led down the garden path on that one tonight. You, 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 you this can... is like all of those times when I've been when I've found myself watching match of the day against my will because I've just been in the room when it was yeah. on. And, it, it's like that, but somehow worse. And Sean Dyche is there, and Sarah doesn't know his name, but she just rec- she's watched so much match of the day. She just <laughs> recognizes him as the man who manages Burnley. No, he's he's the man who manages Burnley because he looks exactly like like your dad's mate who we'd see like in the pub once a week, and you and you're reasonably confident that he hasn't gone home since no, you saw him he, last week. He's got very big gammon energy. He looks like a testicle with a goatee. Um, but yeah, a bit harsh. No, um, Chick, Chick is very uh, getting very emotional. You see all like the tears streaming down her face, like mixing with the blood she has shed. It's uh, it's kind of grim, but it's very sweet. You can tell um, what uh, what it means to her. Uh, Reggie Bennett does a promo saying she prefer to do more wrestling next time rather than uh, be a street fighter. So not happy about the uh, the martial arts um, uh, stuff and possibly a bit of shoot annoyance about the finish as well. <laughs> Who knows? Well, you know, equally that. I have my questions about where responsibility for that finish necessarily lies. I do think that that roll-up was meant to be the finish. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would would think think so, yeah. Yeah, I... I question whether she needed to be attempting to kick out like straight out on three point one or something anyway. Because I, I think that's what they might have been going for. I, I think she probably did just because like Nagayo's not sticking around. She's going uh, off to. I, I guess Reggie Bennett doesn't necessarily lose anything in defeat to such a legend. No. But you kind of want to protect the person you're keeping around against. Uh, uh, you know, against the person who you're not. True. I mean, I, I know that I, I brought that up, but I don't actually think that trying to pass blame around for for, for spots like that actually helps. I think. No, that that's true. The, the most important thing is they obviously didn't intend it to be any sort of contested finish because nobody n- nobody refers back to it after on or anything like yeah. that so i think we just have to pretend that you know let's just yeah. pretend that it was a roll up for a three count and then you know and and no follow yeah this is why i can't stand about do because like they've started like drawing attention to it if the ref like fucks up a count it's like oh was but they never, never never actually do anything with it in terms of the disputed finish like and they just they just lost Putting the boot into people, though. Yeah, yeah, they just love like abusing the refs. The it's like yeah. um the the main event of um of WrestleMania last yeah, year I was gonna when say. like there was a fucked up three count and then Corey Graves is just drawing everyone's attention. It was like for fuck's sake, like oh the shoulders weren't down. You're meant to be putting over like the 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 face of the women's division over like a, a like top MMA name. Like don't like introduce any doubt into people's minds. And, like, I know people can see that they like, but. They're not going to make a huge thing of it unless you do. Like, it'll be a clip on Botchamania and that'll be it, you know? Yeah. I, the other thing with, with that that really irritated me is that they realised that it was a cast-iron storyline to try and lure Ronda Rousey back. Oh, God, yeah. You, you, can, know, that, you, can, you can almost sense them jumping on it and being like, oh, oh, but she can contest the finish and, and then we can bring her back for another just, title match. And nobody needed yeah, her back. Just, just assuming she was as big a mark for the company as the company was for her, and that uh, definitely wasn't the case. So uh, yeah, um, in terms of uh, in terms of that match, like I think like um, 
just again very nice for people to see Chikis and Nagayo and uh, a a role for her taking on the uh, the new big Gaijin heel. I think was a, a good use of her on this show. Um, so uh, the second match we're going to cover on this episode, uh, um, and this is more of a full on Legends match in that it was a tag match and only actually one of the competitors was an active wrestler at the time. So this is match number twelve. Uh, so it's sort of coming up to halfway through the show on the uh, the twelfth match. Uh, so it is Linus Asuka and Yumi Agura versus Jaguar. Yakota and Bison Kimura. So um, yes, uh, Sarah, would you like to give us the lowdown uh, briefly on these on these four women? Right. So when you say that this is a legends match, I mean there is one active wrestler in this entire match, and it's Bison Kimura. Um, so, but even then, she is kind of from a, a comparable sort of time to some of the others. So um, Bison Kimura debuted in 1986. So actually, and Jaguar Yakota had originally, who is her tag team partner in this match, had actually retired in 1985. So there's not necessarily a crossover, but it's eminently possible, actually, that Jaguar was involved in training by the time that Bison was coming up through the system. So there might have been a bit of a crossover there in sort of a, a sort of a... Padawan sort of relationship. Um, that is how I think of all young lions and lionesses, by the way. I think of them as Padawans. Um, so, but she actually debuted alongside Aja Kong. So it's really interesting to see where their different um, where their different careers took them. So, because Bison Kimura um, and Aja Kong are tag champions um, for, I think they won maybe two tag title championships between them. Um, at one point, they originally actually joined the Atrocious Alliance, um, which was the stable which contained Dump Matsumoto and Bull Nakana, mm. um, and then Dump Matsumoto eventually retired, the Atrocious Alliance collapsed. Um, in 1990, um, Bison and Kong get back together as a tag team called, called Jungle Jack, um, which then enters into the sort of lengthy feud with Bull Nakano and her stable, Gokumonto, which kind of carried the business in the early 1990s. Um, so where, where does Bison fit in terms of all of this? So she... At one point in 1992, she did actually win the All Pacific title, so that was kind of like the the secondary single. Yeah, title. that was the white belt. Yeah, yeah. So the white the white belt to to the kind of the the red belt that Aja Kong would would go on to carry. Um, so she she never won the the top title in the promotion, but she was a tag team wrestler and and a couple of tag team titles with Aja Kong. Um, so to put her alongside. Jaguar Yakota is really interesting because it's really obvious who the star in that pairing is supposed to be. Um, Bison. <laughs> <laughs> Bison for you. Um, for the for the rest of us, we talk about how Chikusunagaya was probably top five all time in hmm. terms of in terms of influence and significance. Um, I would humbly suggest that Jaguar Yakota may have been more influential on the kind of wrestlers that exist nowadays um jaguar yakota is in many ways the bridge between the two peak periods of joshi in the 70s and the 80s so i i kind of think of joshi history as kind of having three peaks so you know of the kind that people decide that they want to climb for charity um so in the 70s you have the peak of the beauty pair then you have a bit of a dip and then the crush gals come along and then you have a bit of a dip and then you get into kind of the Bolkano, Akira Hokuto, kind of the, the golden age from a work rate point of view. Um, Jaguar Yakota bridges those first two. So she is one of the people who was actually brought into the business through the hit singles of Jackie Sato and Maki Ueda, the beauty pair, in the mid-70s. Um, she 
actually then managed to climb up through the ranks. And then in 1981, she won the red belt for the first time by pinning Jackie Sato. So to have pinned your sort of childhood idol to win your first title and cement yourself at the top of the company is must have been an incredible achievement for her. Um, but she then carries the promotion as the ace throughout sort of the early to mid-80s. She is not necessarily the big sort of front woman who's wowing all of the crowds so, because the crush gals come along and do that really well. But they will be fighting over the mid-card titles or the tag titles as a phenomenon together. Yeah. Jaguar Yakota is always fighting with the red belt. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing to note about her title reign. When we say she was the ace, we really mean it. From that first title being in 1981 until um, re- retiring after a shoulder injury in 1985, she was had to give up the title. Um, there was only one month out of that time that she didn't have the red belt. Oh, so for like Galactica? It was like Galactica, yeah. She lost it a transitional reign to the Mexican wrestler like Galactica, and then she won it back. So there was a very four and a half year period where mm-hmm. she was the champion of the promotion, virtually uninterrupted. But in terms of in terms of bridging, you know, and not just the classic Joshi bridge that we will see in lots of these matches, she beat Jackie Sato to win her first title, and then she retired after sustaining a shoulder injury in 1985 in a match against Lioness Asuka. Mm. She is, so she is the person who holds things together in between kind of the the end of the beauty pair and the uh, and the rise of the crush gals really. But what happens when she retires is that she is also someone who is not willing to sort of step back from wrestling altogether. I don't actually think that she was. Um, I don't think she was 26 yet at that point. Anyway, she retired due to injuries went back into the dojo and then started training all of your favourite wrestlers. So everybody who then sort of became part of that golden age again in nineteen in the 1990s, so your Akira Hokutas, your Minami Toyotas, all of those people were at least to some extent then trained by Jaguar Ikota. And then when you think about the way that sort of professional wrestling since the 1990s has been so heavily influenced by that 1990s sort of stable and and that kind of group of wrestlers. It's really hard to imagine a world in which Jaguar Ikota never existed and never ended up in the dojo because had she not created the raft of wrestlers that exist in the 90s, God knows what women's wrestling would look like now because everybody cites Nakano, Hokuto, all yeah. of those people as their biggest influences. So I think Jaguar Yakota's importance cannot be overstated. Whether the crowd in this particular room necessarily understands that, I don't particularly know. Um, but what I will say is that this is her first match back. So this is full-on radio silence for nine years. She retired in 1985. She comes out of retirement, stands with Bison Kimura in the ring, and it's... That's got to have been special. Absolutely, she's 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 certainly not old at this point as well. No, no, not at all. She would have been, I think, at this point at Big Egg, she was about thirty three years old. Now that makes her, uh, and she's been nine years retired at that point. Um, let's all just check how old Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair are like <laughs> right now. Shayna Baszler is like thirty seven. You know, this is she's not I mean, old. Jackie Sato at this time would have been thirty six. <laughs> Jesus. Exactly. See, these are so so Jackie Sato, twenty years past her sort of the, the peak of her popular culture appeal, was younger than Shayna Baszler is now. Yeah, that is that is actually insane when you uh, when you put it like that. Um yeah, I mean yeah, to have your first match back be at the Tokyo Dome as well, like first match in nine years, that is that is pretty it's that's huge. pretty great. 
Saying that, now that now that I mentioned that Jackie Sato and Maki Ueda, you know, where on well, Maki Ueda was four, it would have been what thirty uh, five at this point. It's mental they went on this card. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they could. Jackie Sato, I think, was she was wrestling um, at least like in the I think in the early nineties. I don't know if they were still active, but Jackie Sato. I don't think they were still me. active, but you, you would have thought it, they must have certainly put out the call at some point. Certainly, maybe, maybe they thought that like maybe they thought that the Kush girls were enough because I think they kind of. Uh, I mean, they were. They supplanted the beauty power. I think you would probably say the Kush girls were the bigger acts at their peak, um, at their respective peak, should I say? They were both a long time retired at this point. It might have been much harder for them to have sort of come back into this I, environment. I, I do know that part of Shinobu Kandori, who we'll see um, in a later episode, part of her notoriety uh, goes from her shooting on Jackie Sato in a match. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that was uh, Sato's... Uh, I think that might have been Sato's retirement match, but I'm not sure. But yeah, they probably just thought the um, Crush Girls were enough of a draw. Speaking of which, we do have... Um, we've had one of the Crush Girls, Chikas and Nagayo. Now we've got uh, the other one in uh, Lioness Asuka on the other team uh, in this match. Yeah, and again... This is her first match back as well. So other people might have made the odd appearances in between, but Linus Asker has basically vanished since November 1989 from professional wrestling. And this is her first first match back. Um, I will say that um, retirements in Japan really don't seem to stick. Um, and I think we'll keep coming back to that because once Asker's back, she's back. So she worked... Throughout 1995, she actually came back and did quite a few tag matches, I think, in AJW. Um, and then she jumps ship to a promotion called JD Start, which Jaguar Yakota sets up not long after Big Egg in the mid-1990s. So they're all back at it. Like, they were all kind of forced into retirement and they're all making their comebacks. JD Star sounds like a CZW wrestler. I was going to say JD Star sounds like like a, a kind of, like a two-pound bottle of cider. <laughs> I, I will say, I believe, I could be wrong here, but I know that it, it certainly happened. I believe JD Star is the only other Joshi promotion to run a, a Joshi show at the Dome. Is it really? Is that right? We need to track yeah. that down then. Well, that, I know, that and this, awesome. is it, cause this, this came up in Chris Charlton's book, and the, the only show there was no footage of was this JD Star one. It was part of like an idol convention, but they had like oh, okay, a, that makes sense. They had like a show, yeah. but um, I'd love to read about it. I know absolutely fuck all about JD Star. Yeah, but you know, he he like put out a call because I I tried to find footage about it as well when I found out that he he struggled with it and yeah this uh it, it was a uh, it was difficult to find out but no he, he devotes a bit because obviously he has a, a review of every show yeah uh, on the dome and he's like um, <laughs> this this know. was the this was the the one black hole in the I mean speaking of um struggling to find footage do you remember when we did episodes 11 and 12 and uh yumi agura uh linus asuka's tag partner we spent so long trying to find footage of the opener of that show before realizing fuck it it's like a five minute tag match yeah. and we genuinely couldn't find it but she was actually in that so right, yeah. that, so that, that was because i gave yeah. that four and three quarter star that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to remember whether it was her that got absolutely annihilated by monster ripper in the second match on the show that was yukari amori yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's the same initials, but um, different uh, person. Yeah. So Yumi Agura is actually somebody for whom retirement does just about stick. Um, so from what I can tell, and I should preface this by saying she's actually quite hard to research because there is also an anime character of the same name. So you can't Google her without having to flip through loads of anime stuff because even when you type Yumi Agura wrestler, there's still nothing. So it's really hard to really hard to kind of find information on her. 
It could have been worse. It could, she could have been an AV model. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of what, what I could find about her, this does include sort of some very... It's quite basic information that you can find about her, and she does pop up predominantly in tag matches, actually, in terms of the stuff that exists on YouTube of her. Um, I did find a Wikipedia entry for her, but it, it only existed in the Spanish language. <laughs> That's really weird. Yeah, I know. Um, and I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that um, the cagematch.net, which generally is kind of the authoritative resource for a lot of statistics and things like that, um, I'm not entirely convinced how com- how complete it is for, for in this instance. Not for AJW, it's not like there's no, huge gaps in like 94 and 95 fuck off really they don't. No, because I, I looked at it just there and there's, there's none. So, yeah. That yeah. is mad. Uh, so, from what I can make out, it looks like Yumi Ogura had stopped wrestling in 1990 and was coming back for Big X. So, this would have been like a four-year hiatus for her. But she's properly retired um, because the next thing that we know of her is when she appears in 2003 for AJW's 35th anniversary show. So, she seems to be someone who retires and, and stays retired apart from maybe a couple of opportunities that are too big to, to pass up yeah and we know that and again it's not very clear what else she's been involved in i know that she was a junior champion at some point so she yeah. obviously started and quite young we'll talk about um junior championships in another episode yeah 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 that because just... basically um joshi wrestlers start training in the womb yeah that's, that, that, that's it in a yeah I, I used to think it was like a junior heavyweight uh, championship before thinking hang on like most of the wrestlers on this are under the weight limit for junior heavyweights. No, it's actually just an age limit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. DDT subverted this recently by introducing an over 40s championship, which I think is uh, rather <laughs> wonderful and very them. That's what pro wrestling masters is, really. Um, or, or, yeah. or in Joshi terms, Diana, which is basically the AJW 90s retirement home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so, um, I, I think there's a really obvious dynamic in both of these teams as well, where you have one person who is a star and there is somebody who is kind of a professional mid-carder slash professional tag team wrestler or someone like that somebody who is still there and you know and still will carry a bit of name value but who ultimately won't take too much attention away from the people who are meant to be the big stars they're also the people who are a little bit more um Say, for example, when you compare sort of Asuka and Yumi Agura, um, one of them is a little bit more sort of girly than the other, I would say. So Yumi Agura yes. has kind of her, her long hair and her makeup, and Asuka is the opposite of that. Asuka, in some way, I mean, she's a bit older, but really it's just, she's carrying on with the same look that she had for most of the 80s. You yeah. know, she's, you know, singular cropped hair you know she is very much as people will remember her but what i what i always love about her is how in control she looks all the time mm. even when she's not like lioness asuka always looks like she has complete command of herself yeah. and similarly we've got bison kimura who's like i mean considering that she's not very bison like like she she seems probably... very glamorous and she's she's not bison shaped no, she's probably a little bit bigger than than the others, but yeah, she's not the size of like a Bornicano or. Uh, she's or not the size like of that. a bison. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the salient point. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's quite yeah, it's quite funny. We've got like the uh, 
we've got like a good tag team hand in with like one of the all-time legends this match actually got one of my uh, favorite things um in a tag match where you get a face-off between like the two people everyone really wants to see face off like you get this often at, like yeah. king of trios where really there's been a match book where there's like a main guy on each team and then you finally got to see i say finally you get to see them face off in this match they just start with uh yakota and asuka and uh which is actually again going back to our previous output from the Puro Puro podcast episode 12 uh jaggy yakota versus lions asuka for the red belt was the main event of that budokan show in 1985 so i think this is kind of probably the reason they've put them up against each other in this match. Uh, Bison Kamura's got a couple of truncheons as well. Um, (laughs) Okay, here now follows a couple of minutes just for David to talk about Bison Kimura. Right, now, I'm I'm not up with the kids, right? I'm I'm not. Especially Joshi Twitter, right? I believe... um, I'm not. I'm not one to generally indulge in what's known as being horny on main. Yeah, you, you're Josie Twitter adjacent at best. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but Bison Kimura, I love her. She's a goddess. I, I don't know what it is. She's just. A, she looks amazing. Like I'm. I'm not one. I'm. I generally watch Josie wrestling. I'm. I. And it is a thing among Josie fans where a lot of the time they will like wrestlers purely for how they look. You know, you know that that is certainly you know their attractiveness certainly plays into where say like a wrestler that they do like will kind of be tipped over the edge because they really actually quite fancy them as well, and that happens you know with male wrestlers as well. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like you think of the boys shows that DDT have, which is basically like yeah, yeah, here's yeah. the hottest members of our roster. Exactly, Dragon Gate as well. Hyper visual wrestling, you know that you know you, you can't shy away from that. Um, I love Philly State. I love Bison Kimura. She's a great wrestler and she's just an absolute babe. To be it's part of the fandom for sure. Like We've got a friend who only claims to only fancy Rin Kadokura from Marvellous, but the thing is, I don't believe him. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's... Uh, the, the, um, I don't know... The thing is, you've seen wrestlers with like uh, clubs or um, or or, or uh, stuff like that. But like, we've got full on like standard issue Met Police truncheons with like the handles. Here. Oh, the, yeah, Bison Kimura is not fucking about. She it. kind of does a little bit of like nunchuck style thing with them, where she's like swizzling them around, like um, uh, during the match and doing tricks with them as well. And they don't teach you that at uh, police training academy. It's mostly uh, fitting up ethnic minorities for crimes they're not done. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, um, but yes, to be back on uh, more um, wholesome topics, I fucking love Bison Kimura and she can battle me with the truncheon any day. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what I, I mean, someone someone clearly, uh, someone else clearly feels this uh, similar way in the car because, like, you get a, uh, um, it's a very Shinkiba first ring. You've got a male voice just shouting, Asuka, like, bloody Aravist, where were you in uh, 1985? Like, pipe, pipe the fuck down, this is for the lasses. Are you sure it isn't just Chris Jericho? Asuka! Asuka! <laughs> no, because he's not doing an advert for Omaha Steaks in the middle of it. Um, sure. Now, we get a quick start, as I've said, from Yokoda and Asuka, and fucking hell, it is like they've never been away in this oh, opening. They, they have, again, they go for it, they know they've got a 10-minute time limit, and they're just like the, the quintessential Joshi run. You know, yeah. just absolutely bash, 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 straight from the start. Yeah, like um, Rana's crossbodies, uh, a fucking lightning quick front flip from uh, Yakota, which is really just like one up from a kip up. Not really to any effect, just like say, hey, look look what I can do, just to psych her opponent out, I think. It's just the point that she can. And I think, and also bear in mind that this is, and this is one of my, um, what one of my replies when you you talk about how this is very much an exhibition that's about sort of getting your shit in um uh, and you know people just being happy to be there this is really obviously them 
picking up where they left off with Jaguar's last match. This is them. This is them being yeah. like, right, we are not finished here, and pretty much picking up with the match with what they would have liked to have done. You know, if they'd had another shot at that match in 1985, they are going for it. Yeah, abso- oh, yeah. absolutely. Anytime Jagger and Linus are in together, it's incredible. It's so, so, so much fun just watching them. Um, it's it's like an it's like a masters game or like a, a senior senior like tournament or something like that in the sense that yeah they are you know at the peak of their careers but you 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 watch it and they pull out some stuff that you know that. It's always going to be synonymous with them. You can always, you can always expect that. It's always going to warm the heart. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But and meanwhile, what the other two are doing um, in the start once they tag in is Bison Kimura is throwing her weight around, and uh, Yumi Agura's got like two of the things you want in someone to really just batter in a match, which is she's she's uh, she's very slim and she's also got long hair. So like the fucking like hair hair flips that we get in this match where. Uh, Bison Kimura is just fucking her, uh, around by, by her hair. It's absolutely horrendous. She does a fucking like 360 turn at one point when she's been thrown across the ring by her hair. Oh, it's it's brutal. It's it, the thing is, I, I I really feel like in some ways you've got the classic. Any bit of your body that can be grabbed is going to be grabbed. So if you're walking around with like long flowing hair going down, you have to expect it to be sort of worked into the match. It doesn't happen quite so much with Yukata. No, I guess it doesn't. Yeah, no. um, I do. I do love a match out where just they just grab on to whatever. Um, anybody with cauliflower ears is always a great match when someone grabs onto the ears. It's oh, absolutely! Dominic Guarini's got good ears for that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, um, yeah, I love that. I also love we've got the uh, the the proud tradition of wrestling of uh, uh, arse based offense by someone with not a particularly large arse. So uh, Yakota does the uh, she calls it the rear view as Michael Cole would uh, would uh, would say. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do appreciate how she does it. Like she's not trying to pretend it's a hip attack. She's like I'm hitting you with my whole ass in the face. <laughs> so it looks a lot better when she does that. Yeah. Yes, uh, she she commits to the bit at the very least. Yeah, that is true. She does. I, w- I wanted to mention as well. Just um, Kimura's outfit is incredible. I know she she's very neon usually, but um, it was like neon yellow greeny. But it also has fake Roberta Steakhouse bills. Does it? Oh my god! Oh, I didn't notice that. that. Uh, uh, she had a jacket on with a big. I uh, was it a jacket or whatever it was on on the back, and it had a big one on it. And then she took it off, and then I noticed the row, uh, the, the the singlet had all of these wee tiny. All, all your favourite, all your favourite brands like Panasonic and Sony. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really like. Yeah, just like dressed all in in neon, so she's very visible, just like real bison to determine deter predators. <laughs> Well, meanwhile, Asuka and Agura are getting in quite a few nice double teams. Actually, oh yeah, you know, there's, you know some... there's a. Don't get me wrong. There's a. You know, there's a couple of moments of miscommunication which I think are meant to indicate that they've not really sort of wrestled together before. But there's like a double team Enziguri on on Bison where they both hit her from one side. And, and that's really cool. Really cool. And there's a moment where they've each got a, where they've each got one of their opponents in sort of matching submission holds and things like that. It's you know perfectly symmetrical violence never solved anything. But I feel like we're getting there with these guys. I re- I, I really liked some of those some of those moments that are just like. Yeah, no, we know what we're doing. We I, totally planned this. I can imagine them just like at the dojo, like the day before, coming up with double team moves, and like Nagayo's provided them with like a tame, a tame rookie, like a, a warm body, possibly the ref from uh, from the early match, just to like basically to be a crash test dummy to practice on. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the classic like. Um, 
um, after the double entergy and a lovely double spinning kick, they uh, lariat each other by accident. And I really like that because, like, um, I was able to experience that spot and not have more and Allo shouting malfunction at the junction in an incredibly grating voice. After <laughs> that would have been nice. No, it's too old in the pool. Oh, fuck. So, I hate the gun so much. I, I'm sure he's sure a nice bloke, but, like, his commentary's so bad. <laughs> anyway, sorry, moving on. Um, there's some very good... Um, I've called them Harites here, you know, like the sumo strike that one Ricky Dozan was famous for, that Kimura does. They're not really, you know, when you like just, you want to get, you, basically, somebody, maybe somebody you didn't like at school, so you just full on, like, slap them on the back of the head. <laughs> She's kind of going around doing that, just like open hand slapping people with her palm. Are you accusing her of happy slapping? I kind of am, yeah. Like, imagine her like with a gigantic 1994 mobile phone trying to film it, but it doesn't have a screen or any recording equipment. And you're jabbing someone in the eye of the aerial. <laughs> I'm shocked. I've never, I, I've never seen that done in like a FMW match um, of the time. Like poorly, yeah. da- poorly, dangerously in his uh, in his gigantic yeah. phone and get that as a gimmick. Mm. Um, yeah, we were to get a malfunction at the junction where um, uh, Yokota. D- <laughs> sorry, I can't help it. Uh, Yokota does a very nice missile drop kick to her partner uh, from the top row. That is some. Uh, that's some absolutely great shit. I love that everybody's real. Everybody's bumping as well. Oh like, yeah. There is there is absolutely no attempt at any point for people who've been like nine years retired to protect themselves in any way. They are just a, they're just like now we're going for it now. Yeah, there's like, no you know, iron chic politicking here. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no sort of older wrestlers who are clearly preserving their body. Like Minoru Suzuki hasn't taken a back bump since about 2011. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, I absolutely. And um, we get like some. Um, I mean, there's like loads of really impressive um, athletic moves, particularly some like very lovely f- uh, flying knees from uh, Yumi Agura, who's really showing off her uh, her mm. flying skills. And then we get some absolutely fucking horrendous um, horrendous big moves. Um, I've literally written in my notes lots of people getting dropped on heads and necks. Yeah, that does happen. I mean, the uh, double arm pile driver that uh, Jaguar Yakota actually invented. Um, yeah. I felt for sure that was going to be the finish, and um, and uh, then that only got uh, only got two. Um, we also get a lovely. I love I love a simultaneous submission spot, <laughs> and it's so even good. and it's even better if they're like a la uh, the revival versus DIY. Like the people in the submissions are like like oh just grab onto me brother we'll get through this. Um, yeah. She's got like an abdominal stretch and a scorpion deathlock. Um, um, Asuka does gets Jaguar on her shoulders and I think it's going to get counted into a run and then she does an absolutely horrendous power bomb and then uh, lifts her up and does I've never actually seen it done like this like usually when people do the giant swing their legs are like under their arms mm, yeah we're kind of got a different way when like Jag's in the power bomb position and Asuka is still swinging around like that like I've uh, I, I certainly can't imagine that's the easiest easier way of doing it uh, than the standard I wouldn't have thought so but they're not I think that's one of the points of this match is that nobody's there to make anything easy for themselves. No. This is absolutely them saying, you're going to put us on this show and we've only got 10 minutes. We're going to prove to you that we could have done 20. And ultimately, I really felt like, because this does go to a 10-minute draw, I could have stood another 10 minutes yeah, of it. And I've got easily. no doubt in my mind that they could have done another 10 minutes without yeah. drop, without losing a hint of speed. Yeah, I mean, if you're Yumi Agura and, like, you, you've not wrestled for four years and you're not going to be wrestling again for another nine, yeah, why wouldn't you, like, give this your absolute all if you've, you know, you realize, okay, I'm not going to have to go to the dojo and do 50, 500 Hindu squats tomorrow. Um, I also love the the bit where uh, Asuka then does the giant swing to Bison Kimura yes. and possibly in view of Kimura's relative height, the ref's just, like, very wisely hanging out on the second rope while this is happening 
<laughs> Just want to get caught in the vortex. The the finish to this is actually pretty. It is actually pretty interesting because it's so abrupt, and I think that's often away with time limit draws because they they want you to feel like it's come out of nowhere. But so um, Yakota lands a, a German on Asuka just as the bell's ringing, basically. So you've got no chance to turn it into a into a bridging German or to get a pin from it, and it doesn't feel very satisfying because this whole thing feels like it's a taster for something bigger. Yeah, I mean, I could... I I, I kind of... I, I do understand where you're coming from. I mean, I, I... There's often, like, time limit draws where... I don't think every time limit draw you need to have it where, like, the ref's counting two and it's, it would have been three, but then the bell goes and you're like, yeah. oh, it's so close. Like, sometimes matches do just end like... Um, I mean, yeah, take UFC. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's very rare that you get, like... Uh, someone like holding on in a in a uh, fully applied armbar when the uh, when the uh, time for round three expires. I was going to say the exact same thing about boxing. Um, like, how many times do you ever like see somebody like go, you know, about <laughs> to fall at the end of the twelfth round in boxing? This it isn't Rocky. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that the... doesn't happen. People uh, kind of take their foot off the gas and then they're absolutely hammering it in the, at the last minute of like the last round usually. It's not as dramatic as usual. It's a very good fight between uh, Diego Sanchez and Gilbert Melendez uh, from a UFC show. I watched ones where pretty much up until the end of the fight, they're just fucking full on pounding each other in the face. Just, um, <laughs> but like that's that's the uh, exception and not the norm. So the match ends as it starts with uh, Jaguar and Asuka trying to uh, maim each other. Meanwhile, the other two's uh, last involvement in this match. I'm not sure if this was a botch or not. Like I don't know if it was meant to be a superplex, but basically it turned into. Um, Kimura giving Agura kind of a DDT from the top rope. Um, it's like, have you ever seen that Dean Malenko Scotty Too Hotty match from Backlash 2000, where nice. the finish is like just a DDT off the top rope and it's the gnarliest shit? So I don't know if this was yeah. intentional or not, but it looked fucking disgusting. <laughs> um, I, I hope my baby Bison Kimura is okay though. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm sure she was. I'm sure she'll be grazing for years to come. <laughs> <laughs> By the time we get into the post-match interviews, um, Bison is... She's the only person who's sort of really visibly emotional, so she's she's crying quite a lot. Everybody else is a bit more um, is a bit more sort of restrained about it, but it, this match obviously meant quite a lot to her, and I think probably more than it did to... Not necessarily that it meant more, because it's a huge deal for the others, but to be the active wrestler put in the ring with sort of the returning legends. There's something special about this match to her that actually really moves her. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Jack just looks fuming throughout the uh, the uh, the post match when she's been everyone's been presented with flowers and gigantic certificates, um, which I, I guess is just her selling the. Um, oh, I, if I could have dropped you on your neck like five more times, I would have had you. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of shows of respect all around, and it's all very sort of it's all very sort of nice, polite. Everybody gets some flowers. Everybody get a trophy. Yay, isn't it nice? Kind of. Yeah, this is what I mean about the exhibition. Uh, yeah, uh, air of it. Do you know what? It is a sticks-free exhibition match, and I feel like I should be okay with that, and I feel like I should be happy with that, but I'm not because I wanted another ten minutes <laughs> of it. It just what it it just it's too short for people with that amount of talent, which in some ways is you know it sums up these people's entire AJW careers, doesn't it? Because it's too short and you wanted more of it. Yeah, but it is a 10-hour show, so, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, fair play. I, I, I will say, in all fairness, this match did lead to, like, Yokota and um, Kimura became quite regular tag partners in GD Star. Oh, did they? they? Oh, right. Yeah, they faced off against Linus Asuka uh, later on as well. I think only once nice. or twice in one scene cage match. But, um, yeah, they, they tagged quite a bit. 
If nothing else, this is wetted my appetite with some JD Star, assuming any footage of the promotion exists at all. <laughs> but um, well, I also like the idea that we seem to have like a long-running intergenerational conflict going on between sort of Jaguar and Lioness. Um, I'm sure that there's a big cat sort of analogy that I could come up with, but instead I'm going to think of this as being like the Shane McMahon and the Vince McMahon. Of, uh, of Joshi. I was going to go Choshi Fujinami, but, um, you know. I mean, that works too. That works too. I went for something a bit more prosaic. Probably, like, probably not as much as Vince and Shane, but, you know. <laughs> probably like Choshi Fujinami in that neither of them doing a job in the Legends match. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so these these matches as a whole tell tell quite a bit of story. Uh, as an as an idea and in terms of what they represented, you know, bringing in sort of all of Joshi past, but in a lot of ways it indicates how this industry is is changing because we we've talked about really this is this is the bubble and the bubble is not necessarily immediately going to burst, but AJW will not always be the power that it's been in the industry so far, and in some ways that's creating the space for these women to use the show as a launch pad for like the second acts of all of their careers. So, and in some ways maybe being forced to retire at 26 was a bit of a blessing in disguise because they're still young enough at this point when AJW is gradually starting to decline. They're all still young enough to be like, hey guys, come to my show instead and to get their whole second (laughs) career out of this. So most of the women that we've talked about here either continue wrestling for a couple more years. Reggie Bennett didn't retire until 2001. Um, And as we know, Jaguar Yakota just still will not retire and is still working the odd match now. But all of them kind of used this as a catapult to go on to something else. Yeah. You know, well, maybe not all of them. So Yumi Ogura wanted to stay retired, but yeah. she kept herself in the company's good books and came back for the 35th anniversary. You know, it's a it's a launch pad for some people as much as it is kind of a, 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 a nostalgic send-off. So I think I probably take issue with the idea of it being just nostalgia because yeah. it's nostalgia for the fans, but it's not nostalgia for the wrestlers. No, that's true, that's true. Yeah, I I thought these matches were like amazing. Like, I really yeah. really loved them. As much as we all love a thirty-five minute, you know, epic or whatever, this hit every note perfectly. Yeah. And this, apart from the finish and the Tugusa Nakai match, but just hella fucked it, up. <laughs> it knew it knew what it wanted to do. It took the ten minutes. It used it in a format that that grabbed you. Um. It used it used them in a formula that works with the legends. It wasn't just uh, parity. It was building on old rivalries. It was as well as that. It was building on the dynamic between the old and the new. Mm. But yeah. the key is, is that the, this isn't you no know, Dory Funk Jr. in 2017 turning up in old Japan to fight the Great Kabuki. <laughs> and why not? It, <laughs> and why not? Exactly. Um, and they, they um, but they, so they are able to work a good match still. Uh, I think the fact that they retire to due to age is, is kind of clouded people when you think that these people are like probably around about the same age as Tanahashi and like Naito and stuff like that now. Well, so certainly, so well, Tanahashi's way older than uh, these, these yeah, women. Yeah, yeah, really. and you look at the sort of level that they are working at. And it's like, they, they were able to use that to have a, a great match. It didn't outstay its welcome. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And it was they were both really, really fun. And one of them had bison came out in it. So, you know. <laughs> That's it. That's you sold. I, I, I'm kind of thinking of this as being like, so my parents had me quite young. And I'm, I, I know quite a lot of other people who've said that, well, the joy of having your kids young is that by the time they've all grown up and sort of 
pissed off out of the house like you're suddenly you're still only in your 50s and you're still old enough to actually go out and enjoy your lives um so that's a i mean i I don't know how my parents feel about this because they were (laughs) i was 26 before they managed to successfully chuck me out of the house but i I kind of feel like this (laughs) yeah cheers mate um they but i think in in some ways these these women are experiencing the same thing like they are they are still young enough now that you know a lot of the birds have flown the nest so from Yakota's point of view she's produced a lot of trainees everybody else is in a good enough place that they've managed to use their they can still use their youth and enjoy it they've still got careers left to have if they can use this as 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 their springboards and I think it's it's brilliant to see that this is in some ways Big Egg represents the end of something but it's the start of a completely new era in, in in women's wrestling in Japan. Yeah, and it was a very it was a very good bridge between the two in the sense that you know you're you're getting all these older fans in, they're really enjoying the nostalgia matches, and nostalgia matches are delivering, and they're seeing the newer stuff, and it's just kind of it's it's such a good celebration. It's just yeah. And crucially, at no point does a veteran come back and then go over a young star to make them look worse. <laughs> Thank you. Fuck you, Goldberg. <laughs> hey. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to episode three of Big Egg Podcasting Universe. We'll be back next time with episode four, in which we will cover a kind of grab bag of matches which are of the interpromotional variety. So we've already mentioned Chicks and the Gaia's promotion Gaia, but also LLPW, FMW and JWP. So the other promotions which were involved in this show, as well as AJW. So do look forward to that. Uh, before we leave, we have got some shit to plug. So Sarah, do you want to go first? Because uh, Sarah's got an interview um, coming after this, where I'm just going to sit on my lazy ass playing Final Fantasy Twelve. So if you want to go first, then you can fuck off and I can uh, finish the recording. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, yeah. So I'm. So the the interview that I'm about to go and do <laughs> is um, for an essay that I wrote for a book called Women Love Wrestling, which is an anthology of book of um, essays by and about women uh, and women's wrestling. And it's a it's a fantastic anthology. There are some really really talented writers in there. There's people's experiences of being uh, wrestlers in in the industry as women, and there's mine, which is funnily enough directly relevant to this because it uses as its starting point um, Chikusamagaya and Lioness Asuka having a match for the red belt in 1989. So it is very much about about women supporting women's wrestling, um, and the proceeds from that book um, are actually being split so that um, US sales profits are going to rain and uh, Women's Aid is the beneficiary in the UK so really worthy cause Um, I will be tweeting the link to the book on Amazon incessantly there is a print on demand version and there is a a, a version for digital download as well Um, please check it out um, and even if you decide that no, you don't want to be anywhere near it, just give some money to Women's Aid, guys. Like just, just, just do it. Um, yeah. And also follow me on Twitter at Sarah Parkin One um, because that way you'll get to see when I tweet all of the shameless plugs for that exact same book. I think this is the first episode where you've actually remembered to plug your own Twitter, and I've not had to do it. Yeah, well, to be honest, the book's more exciting. So, but to be honest, my, my Twitter account is mostly about buses not turning up uh, on my daily commute. But sometimes I also talk about wrestling. So please do that as well. Okay. Um, uh, David, what about yourself? And, um, I currently run a podcast uh, about Party Fistle called Draw, Loser, Draw. Um, by the time this comes out, I'll have a couple of episodes out. Um, we are kind of finding our feet at the moment and having uh, a ball doing it um, and learning about how to actually record podcasts correctly 
I know a bit about Partick Thistle, like, entirely through osmosis from <laughs> some of the people we follow from the Puripuri Podcast Twitter account. Uh, but um, I found it a really entertaining listen, and it's uh, four guys who are uh, clearly very uh, passionate about their club and also uh, really well-informed about it as well. Like, they sort of... And they, they can, like, they've got differing opinions without it uh, descending into outright rancor, which I feel is very good. At, at Drawlers or Draw on Twitter. Um, and, yeah... Um listen to that and again Viano14 on Instagram and uh, you can buy my music at fastpuck.bandcamp.com I've lots of uh, pure related uh, albums Okay and uh, you can follow uh, myself and David at Puro Podcast on uh, Twitter that is the uh, the Twitter handle for the Puro Puro Podcast which is our sort of main uh, our main venture I was going to say gig but gig implies you get paid so um, <laughs> um, but yeah that's our main thing so do follow us on that we've got uh, all the sort of Puro takes and shit posts that you could ever want. Um, you can also find the Puro Puro podcast at uh, I was going to say Facebook. Don't fucking go on a Facebook page. There's no content on it. Um, find us on SoundCloud. That's probably a better way of consuming our material. And you can find this on SoundCloud as well and on iTunes. Um, and also do check out I maintain the double foot stomp is silly dot com. That's I maintain the double foot stomp is silly dot com, where you can find all sorts of. Um, all sorts of content posted by ourselves and also uh, other people that we know on a variety of wrestling topics. Uh, Sarah very often covers the women's wrestling beat. Um, I've published articles um, to do with all, all sorts of subjects. Uh, you can, if you want 3,000 words on whether Antonio Inoki would have voted Leave or Remain in the Brexit referendum, then uh, do go my way. Myself and David uh, did some uh, reviews of uh, Robot Wars done in the style of um, sort of uh, wrestling reviews, complete with Dave Meltzer style star rating. So that's all very fun. Um, and there was even some poetry at the end, which was I wrote a villanelle about robots. So if you would, uh, and uh, sometimes it was Pitbull lyrics as well when, uh, when it was David's week. So uh, <laughs> Mr. Worldwide will truly, truly never leave us. Um, and uh, if you would, if you're in the market for uh, Sarah's um, uh, plugged the book that she's uh, she's contributed to, if you're in the market for some uh, fictional takes on wrestling, uh, do check out the rise and fall of Ricky Dozan, a man that I've mentioned a couple of times on this episode, and indeed will try to shoehorn into conversation wherever possible. So, the rise and fall of Ricky Dozan is a uh, full-length novel that I have written um, over the past four or so years. It takes place in the world of Japanese wrestling in the late 50s and early 60s, revolving around Ricky Dozan, who was the father of Japanese professional wrestling, and about my protagonist, uh, Michiaki Yamada, being sucked into the world of professional wrestling through his employment at Ricky Dozan's company, and finding that the man he grew up idolising is not necessarily as, as virtuous as he had been led to suggest. So it covers all sorts of... Um, topics from um I, I i don't feel like you need to know about the wrestling of the time because i certainly fucking didn't before i started researching it um i've written it so that even if you have never seen a wrestling match in your life and don't even know what it is you'll be able to understand it similarly if you're a long time fan there were some nice little easter eggs uh, in there for example there's a scene where Michiaki's headmaster um talks about his rationale for using corporal punishment a lot of that's just taken verbatim from uh, Hulk Hogan's Yappapai Indian strap match promo so there's a few things uh, <laughs> a few things like that but um uh, do check it out people seem to have um uh, really enjoyed it um and that comes from uh, wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans alike um you can buy it for 249 for the kindle on amazon which is a very very cheap price for the amount of reading you get um and you can also uh, get a print-on-demand paperback version for 14.99 they're printed on demand in poland and they ship to about a dozen countries so do check if yours is on the list hopefully it will be but you can go get that as well if you like so uh, that's about all in terms of plugs so thank you very much for listening to episode three of big egg podcasting universe i've been george thompson signing off for david Paul and Sarah Parkin and we'll see you in episode 4